Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. As those of you who've listened to my episodes with Erin Hunter or Pauline Holmes will know, I've been working with Erin as producer to take her one-woman show, Surfing the Holy Land, to Edinburgh French. And because so many people have enjoyed Erin and Pauline's episodes, I've decided to do a special series of the second chapter episodes around women of the French. Over the next few weeks, I'll be chatting with women who are bringing their shows to Edinburgh Fringe, the world's largest arts festival, after the age of 35. In typical of the second chapter fashion, I'm excited to know about the changes their lives and careers have seen post-35 and how they're planning to make their mark amongst the 3,500-plus shows that will converge on Edinburgh this August. Back to regular programming at the end of the month. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the special Women of the Fringe episodes. This week, I'm speaking with Shana Swanson. Shana fulfilled the stereotypical parental nightmare by forgoing a traditional career and joining the circus. But years of performing also led to years of struggle with body image. After having a baby at 37, Shana started directing instead for her circus company, Aloft Circus Arts, combining the innovation of the new circus movement, the daring of the traditional big top shows, and the joy and comedy of vaudeville. She's brought her beautiful circus show, Brave Space, to Underbelly Circus Hub as part of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. I like that daredevil stuff. I also like telling stories and artistry and all of that, but yeah, Rope felt like the place where I could kind of combine those two things that I care about, which is like storytelling and being crazy. (laughs) Hi, Shana. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. All of our luggage has been located, and I've located you, (laughs) so... I'm feeling like things are headed up. (laughs) Yes, Shana and I are in the top of Waverly train station in Edinburgh. So there's, you know, this really cool dome bar. We're in one of the domes, but to actually find it's not the easiest thing. So I sent her across town and I want to get into your luggage in a minute. But my first question for you is everybody who's a kid dreams of running away with the circus, right? I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard it. How did you end up becoming a circus person? Well... When I was little, my mom was, well, she still is, a seamstress, and she would always joke. Oh, and I was in gymnastics classes. Okay. And she would always joke that, like, one day we're going to run away and join the circus, and you can be the acrobat, and I'll make all the costumes, and da-da-da-da-da. So, like, I think she unknowingly, like, put the thought into my head, and then when I actually did it, she was like, no, wait, I was just joking. I wanted you to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because it, does, it doesn't seem like every parent's dream. Yeah, no, but she's gotten she's gotten used to it. And now she like really is proud of me and happy about it and everything. So, but I, I was a gymnast and a dancer when I was a kid. And so it just sort of was a natural introduction to that sort of thing. And I always kind of dreamed of being a performer. I sort of like, I think I visualized the show. So you think you can dance before it was an actual show. Like when I was little, I was like, it'd be so cool if dancers were treated like rock stars and we could just go on tour and perform on huge stages and there'd be screaming fans and we would just be dancing and there wouldn't be any singing involved. (laughs) And I would like draw our costumes and had like notebooks of these. And so when I discovered circus, I was sort of like, oh, this combines like all of this is the thing. This is where like you can perform and go on stage and, and, you know, have audiences be super pumped and excited like they would at a rock concert, you know? So yeah, that's was sort of my inspiration. I found a aerial dance class in Portland, Oregon when I was 18 years old. And I was like, 
you know, I bet I could do this. So I signed up and I started taking lessons and they were sort of like, I mean, I was like a daredevil. And because that would not, I mean, when I see people do the kind of things that you all do, I'm right. just like, that is not me. I'm such a chick. Yeah. Well, this would have been the class for you <laughs> because it was very like slow and methodical right. and like almost kind of like new age, like feel the space around the bar and ta da da. And I was like, I'd like to do some tricks, please. <laughs> and so I built like the world's jankiest, scariest trapeze and I like built it out of like a wooden doll rod and jump ropes and duct tape. I'm not kidding. Those were the <laughs> things that I built the trapeze with. <laughs> and I hung it from a tree in my backyard. So I've just like made a statement that will make like every aerialist and every like rigger in the world like gasp and clutch their pearls and like fall over dead. <laughs> I don't have an expression actually I'm going to use that but, but gasp and clutch their pearls yeah I mean it's I mean and if it was me hearing that today I would do the same thing I'd be like no stop yeah but then I'd be like oh but wait that's what I did and you know I'm okay I'm still here so I taught myself I just made stuff up this was like before there was YouTube or Instagram or anything like that so I just kind of was like what can I do on this thing where can my body go how can this thing wrap around me and I just imagined it until it became real. <laughs> so you mentioned Portland. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Chicago. Okay, because you're in Chicago now, Yeah, right? well, sort of. It's complicated. <laughs> I was going to say, the circus life, you know, we don't expect you to be in one place. We're able, yeah. Everyone has this vision of, you know. Yeah, when my company is in Chicago. I live in Wisconsin, about over an hour north of Chicago. But for the last two years, I've lived in Berlin, Germany. And we just moved back like three weeks before the Fringe so I could do rehearsals. And then after the Fringe, we're going back to Chicago, Wisconsin. For a while. For a while. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so how did you end up in Berlin? This is taking me at all. I know, I know. Like, tell me okay, wait a minute. <laughs> tell me everything. Tell me everything. Maybe before Ber No, we're on Berlin. Tell me about Berlin. How'd you end up there? It's pretty, it's not that exciting of a story. You know, America was really in a uh, sketchy place in the summer of 2020. And, you know, we weren't sure if like Trump was going to be reelected or whatever, if COVID was just going to like go on forever, it turns out it has or what. But we were kind of like looking over, we'd always sort of wanted to live in Europe. My husband is Spanish and German and his father is like 87 years old and lives in Berlin. And we have a son who's like, he was six at the time. And we were like, you know, it's a good as time as any to like get the heck out of here. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. We didn't Go. ask. <laughs> yeah, say what you like. Okay. But okay. I liked that you went, heck? <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't know if it's kid friendly. I swear a lot. Absolutely. So so we were just like, let's get out of here. And so within like three weeks we of thinking about it, we had just packed up all of our stuff and like moved to Berlin to take care of my husband's father and also just so that our son could like get to know his grandpa a little bit and figure out what was happening with the United States and if it was a place where we could like still live. And we kind of didn't have a timeline on how long we were going to stay. We were thinking like six months and we ended up staying for two years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so, so cool. I can imagine. Like, my favorite it, city. This is, I have a tattoo on my arm that is the map of Tempelhofefeld, which is the largest urban green space in the world. And it's like my favorite place in the whole world. So before I left, I got this tattoo and now I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's a very cool tattoo. <laughs> like, it's so abstract to be like, what is it? I mean, obviously, there's a story behind it. So, circus wise. Yes. 
you've figured out all these things. You have this janky trapeze in your backyard. <laughs> how do you actually, you know, how do you actually join the circus? Oh, well, <laughs> I, well, I mean, what is your first circus it's, job? It's, I guess like it's a better way to ask the question. Yeah, yeah. You could write like a whole like book on this. And people, I think, have my first circus job. I was in circus school actually in England, in Bristol. And I went to, I had to go home for Christmas to visit my family at Christmas break. And so I Googled, this was like in the very early days of Google when it took like 45 minutes to get an answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they had to like go check personally in the library. And I Googled like circuses in Chicago or whatever. And I found a company there and I sent them an email and I was like, hey, I'm going to be home for circus school for like a couple weeks. And I'm just looking for a place to train while I'm there. And so they were like, yeah, come on train with us and so I went to some of their trainings and it was really fun and they were really nice and we they hired me for like my first ever gig it was like a new year's eve gig in in outside in chicago in the winter on oh, new year's eve yeah uh, oh. <laughs> I did spanish web and my mom made out with a clown this was my first gig and I got lifted out of a box and into the air and I was wearing like seven layers of tights because it was so cold out and I got paid like oh not enough money like 250 dollars but you know uh in the early 2000s 250 dollars was more than it is now and I was like okay you know, if I did like four of these a month, I'd have my money for living. And so they invited me to like stay and work with the company. So I quit circus school and I went back to Chicago and I started working with them. And then after a couple of years of that, I realized that I'm not good at working for other people and I need to have my own thing. So I started my own company. Yes, I was kind of obsessed with your company because <laughs> I've been, well, first of all, well, yes, I'm obsessed with your company. I want to hear about your specialties, though, because I kind of, you know, again, I just feel like we all have this, like, you know, this is what the circus is for when I'm a kid. I know the trapeze, I know the right, tightrope, right, yeah, I know the sharks, sure. I know the elephants, whatever that is. Yeah. But tell me about your specialties. Well, now that I'm 45 years old, my specialty is like spreadsheets. <laughs> and what? Ignoring your emails. Yeah, th those are my specialties. <laughs> my specialties were, I started out in circus school learning Lyra, which is the aerial hoop. Mm -hmm. So... That's what I studied when I was in circus school, and I really enjoyed it. I am. It was, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite apparatuses to watch. And then after that, I started to get really into trapeze, just static trapeze, like where it stays in one spot and you move around it. And I really kind of liked that because it was more kind of gymnastics-y and dynamic than uh, Lyra, which aerial hoop, which is more of like a flowy kind of yeah. graceful thing, which I am not that kind of person. Uh, and then finally, Finally, I discovered rope, aerial rope, which is, which fits with my like personality kind of like it's a little bit like badass and rock and roll and you can, you know, flail around and be wild and do things where you throw yourself off the rope and then grab the rope again. And like, that's the kind of like, I like that daredevil stuff. I also like telling stories and artistry and all of that. But yeah, rope felt like the place where I could kind of combine those two things that I care about, which is like storytelling and being crazy <laughs> so cool. um, i wish i was that kind of person <laughs> i would be like okay you have me clipped here right yeah yeah and yeah here and yeah i mean swing me around right as long as i know that like there is some sort of a safety net sure i know you all do not do so well wow <laughs> well it's sort of different like there doesn't need to be a safety net because 
at least in a lot of aerial work, like the apparatus itself acts as a safety. Okay. You know, you, I mean, there are tricks where you're completely like away from the apparatus yeah, and you, you just grab you it again. Your throat. Release moves, that kind of thing for sure. But like for that kind of thing, you have like a big mat and you've trained yourself how to fall. You know, all of kind of the, from the beginning to the end of the skill, what can go wrong and how to fix it if it goes wrong, you know? So it's like you are your own safety. In right. a way, which is like a real lesson for life, too. <laughs> Just to like not hit it too hard on the head. <laughs> no, that's very true, though. Yeah. And, and in acrobatics, which is like the other thing that I really love, is the people around you are your safety, you know? And that's sort of like what our whole show is about. But before we talk about that, I'll tell you my other specialty, which is seer wheel. Yes. So uh, after, I, yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> after I had done rope for a while, I thought like, this is cool, but man, it sure hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the strength. It's so painful. Oh, God. Anyway, so I was like, I need to do something that also doesn't hurt. So I saw this act, Sear Wheel, which was so beautiful and so just fluid and ex- dynamic and exciting and gymnastics-y and dancey and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, so I started learning that. And once I had a Sear Wheel act, a ground act, and an aerial act, I started getting booked a lot more for things and different performances and that sort of thing because it's so hard to rig an aerial act you know a serial act you can kind of just show up anywhere where there's like a flat piece of ground and do it so uh yeah that's my advice to any young circus performer is to uh, get a ground act <laughs> that aerial acts are really like cool and exciting and blah but like yeah you'll get more work with a ground act <laughs> that makes sense and yeah it's just the big job just that's the big wheel oh, yeah. you're holding on. Yeah. It's like a big metal <laughs> hula hoop and you kind of spin around and do like rolling and that kind of thing with it. Yeah. I just saw somebody performing that the other night and thought the amount of core strength. Yeah. That is required. And shoulder strength. Oh, yeah. Because you're splayed out. Yeah. Your like, arms are like held out to the side for a real long time. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a torture device, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> So I said I'm obsessed with your company, but I think part of it is because I was reading about you setting it up and all the fundraising you've done and, you know, starting with $5,000 in your pocket yeah. and crowdfunding and kind of tell me where it started, where it's gone. And then not to add one more question, and that's horrible C word, but you've already said COVID. So like, how has <laughs> that affected everything? <clears throat> yeah. So in 2005, I kind of had a show in my mind that I wanted to do. I wanted to do a show that didn't require any tech at all. And so we made a show where it was lit entirely by flashlights. Uh, oh. the, the performers were holding the flashlights. It was called Rolling Blackouts. It was about, well, it was kind of also inspired by Hurricane Katrina and then also the rolling ba- blackouts of like the Enron crisis and how communities come together in times of crisis to like support each other. Uh, and so that's what the show was about. And I, there weren't many circus performers in Chicago at that time. Uh, this was the, like, like 2004-ish, 2003-ish. And it was just like, there weren't circus schools everywhere like there are now. There wasn't all this resources online like there is now. So I had to have auditions and I just chose like gymnasts and theater artists and that sort of thing to like be in the company. And then I trained them in circus to be able to do the show. Mm. So once I'd gone through that whole process and we had done the show, I was like, I really like these people. Like, I really want to keep working with them. And so I sort of formed the company because 
of the show. Like we did, I did one show kind of to like try it out and see. I thought that maybe that was all that was in me. But then after the show was over, I was like, no, this is great. Let's let's keep going this way. And like I said, like I'm not like super big into working for other people. And so I left the company that I had been working with and it was sort of like dramatic and I had to very quickly like find a new space. So we found like a little garage space where they used to work on like cars and auto body stuff. And it was in Humble Park, Chicago, which is like, I don't know, I lived over there. It was very awesome. But anyway, you had to go down an alley and then down another alley and like walk over like dirty mattresses and step over rats and like buy drugs before you got inside. (laughs) (laughs) It was like very secret. And we had like zero students. Like rats would like die underneath our spring floor all the time. And then it would start to smell in there and be like, oh, my God. And we'd have to like get people to come in. I wouldn't. I'd be like, I'm not doing it. (laughs) If you pull up this floor and find the dead rat, you get free glasses. (laughs) It's like getting like the lucky gumball out of the machine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's a rat. It's a rat. You can't eat it. So, so yeah, we, my best friend was one of the company members and she had like a good job, you know? And so she decided that she was going to like give me $5,000 to start the company. And so that's how we paid our first month's rent, you know, and our security deposit and that kind of thing. And got like the initial rigging that we needed. And it was not a jump rope and a dowel rod this time. Like we hired a professional rigging company. Like by this time I had a clue. <laughs> and uh, especially for bringing other people in. Exactly. Like, I want to make it a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, she helped us and we set it up and we just started really, 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 really small. We had like five students, you know, and they would, you know, buy a punch card and sometimes show up <laughs> and sometimes the teachers would show up and it was like really like fly by night. And then we were there for a couple of years and then a space opened up in this business incubator and on the west side of Chicago and it was much bigger. It had like, you know, 30 foot ceilings and it was like gorgeous, awesome, perfect. So, and the rent was about the same as what we'd been paying in this auto body shop because it was a small business incubator. So they kind of subsidized it a little bit. And so we moved in there. And then like immediately once we moved into like this better space and like and more easy to get to kind of place, we started getting like tons of students and that kind of thing. So because we had more students, we were able to divert more resources towards like making shows and that kind of thing. So, you know, in the United States, there's not a lot of funding for the arts and especially not for circus because circus is not like recognized as a legitimate art form in like most granting well, like I, said, I do feel like it's like you you still picture the circus, like the Barnum Bailey. Right. Like a of. spectacle, like entertainment and not art. Right. Right. And so, yeah, same with a lot of funding organizations. So we never even tried to become a nonprofit and we've always just been funded. We've funded our classes through our own work and through our through selling tickets and through teaching classes and that sort of thing. So, yeah. And then I did mention the C word, but how did the last couple of years kind of, I mean, I know you were in Berlin, but mm-hmm. was it something that you just kind of had to close up shop? Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> I mean, we were in, I was in Chicago, not at the beginning of COVID, or I was in Chicago at the beginning of COVID. So yeah, I mean, we got a notification from the governor that all businesses had to close down the next day. And it was just like, oh, uh okay and so we jumped on the computer and we looked up like you know how do we teach classes online how do we do our classes through zoom blah 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 blah. and so within three days of being closed my whole company had like banded together and 
just decided we're going to do it online. And most, almost all of our students stuck with us and kept paying for the classes online. And so that also like saved our asses big time, you know, for about two months they did that. And then they started to kind of fall off and, you know, you can't just keep paying for (laughs) the same amount for Zoom classes that you pay for like regular classes forever, right? Yeah. But luckily about that time we were able to start reopening with a lot of like restrictions and that kind of thing. But, but one of the things that really saved our ass is that, you know, we're not a nonprofit, like I said, so we never have gotten grants or anything. But then the government, you know, offered up all these assistance programs, the the IDA loan and the PPP loan, which ended up just being like a grant for your payroll. Right. So we were able to like get tons of work or tons of help from the government. And also we still had students paying for it, paying us. So and then on top of it, we bought a building a couple of like seven years ago. Is this the church? Yeah. That uh, looks so cool. <laughs> when we got kicked out of our small business incubator because we had been incubated, they like kicked us out of the nest and we were like, oh, what are we going to do? And we couldn't find anything to rent that was like comparable. And then we found an old church, like a 120 year old church. It was just down the street from my house. So we moved into this church and we bought it. Shockingly, a bank actually gave the circus a loan to buy a church. And what's cool about the loan, in which I didn't realize was going to be cool, is that it was not a mortgage. It was an SBA small business loan. And so during COVID, the SBA suspended all payments. They didn't make us pay. Oh, wow. Yes. That makes a difference. Right. But it wasn't just a deferral. They paid the loan for us. Oh. Yes. So they basically like forgave all of the months of the loan that we didn't, that was shut for like 11 months or something. Yeah, that is definitely saving your ass. It saved our ass and it allowed us to save enough money to come to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I think I read somewhere because we can talk about your lost luggage. But I think I read on one of the tweets that you said or something that, it, you know, it's costing like Mm -hmm. $50,000. I almost said pounds. Uh, My mind goes back and forth. Yeah, it's fine. But $50,000 to come here. This is not a joke. And I mean, I've talked to a few solo shows and even the ones that I've talked to from the States. I'm like, you know, how are you doing this? It's Mm -hmm. such a crazy venture. But $50,000, no joke. It's insane. It's really like, I can't believe that we're doing it. Kind of. I mean, this is a weird question, but what what do you hope to achieve with it? Oh, boy. I would like to get some good reviews uh, (laughs) that I can use those to leverage into getting more bookings and da da da. You know, the same thing that everyone wants to get out of the fringe. I'd love to get some, you know, European tour dates or uh, UK tour dates on our schedule for next year. I would like to, well, and also like, I am trying to, because I don't perform anymore, I'm trying to get more work and more recognized as a circus director. Mm. And so I'm hoping that, like, people getting their eyes on this show will make them think of me when they think of, like, needing a director for another circus show or that sort of thing. So, yeah, those are... So you mentioned being 45, Mm -hmm. and we talked when I kind of put the word out and you said your change that went from being a circus performer to a circus director had to do with having your son. Yeah. And so that was, you were 37 when he was born. So what was that shift like? Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is like, I feel like this story like runs emotionally deep. I, like I said, was a gymnast and dancer my whole life. And so along with that comes like having an eating disorder your whole life. 
<laughs> yeah. And so for like 25 years or 30 years of my life, I like struggled with having an eating disorder that really was ex- exacerbated with being in a profession where like I'm using my body and I'm being judged against other people's bodies. And there's an expectation that you have a certain body type. And like maybe those two things are changing now, but like I don't think so much and certainly not fast enough. Yeah. Um, Great. And so I was spending so much mental energy worrying about what I look like and dealing with rejections physically, mm-hmm. you know, and being like, oh, I didn't get this gig because I'm too fat or whatever. Yeah. And by the time I was like 35, I was like, you know what? This sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be in this hustle anymore. And this is like, I don't want to have a fucking eating disorder anymore. Yeah. So I thought, well, probably the best way to not have an eating disorder anymore is to get pregnant and have a kid. (laughs) (laughs) It does change. I mean, I, I don't have children. But I do think about like the relationship with your mm-hmm. body and how it really changes. Mm-hmm. You know, you do start thinking of it as something that's growing a right. baby. And, you know, at least hopefully that's what happens. Right. I know that's right, right, right. for everyone. Well, and it was, I, I definitely was like, well, you know, if I want to get pregnant, I have to treat my body well. I can't be like throwing up five times a day and not eating enough food. And like, that's not going to result in like being able to get pregnant or having a healthy pregnancy. Right. So... I just stopped doing those things in order to have a baby. And also, you know, once you're a certain level of pregnant, you can't really perform anymore. So I also stopped doing circus and I stopped training. And the like shift that happened in my brain in both of those, from like both of those things happening at the same time, I'm not going to say it like cured my eating disorder, but like I have barely relapsed ever since I got pregnant, you know? Yeah, I'm say because it's interesting because you said, you know, I just decided I was going to do this. And I feel like for so many people, that would not, that's just not an option. Right. So it is interesting, though, that everything shifted enough and, and not performing because you're not feeling this exactly. constant. I don't know, like you said, judging and pressure. I mean, I guess I see it as, as an actor because I wonder every time I don't get something. Was I too fat? Was I too thin? Was I too old? Was I too young? Was I too... Right. Because it's always in your mind, somehow it has to do with how you are physically. Right. I mean, sometimes I've walked out and been like, I was shit. <laughs> I did a bad job. <laughs> I had a really bad audition. <laughs> but a lot of times I'm like, I, I don't know what my age bracket is. I don't right. know if it's my looks. Am right. I too... Because I've literally heard, you were too pretty for this. Mm. And I've literally heard you know, oh, you don't have a look where going. Right. And it's just like, oh, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad that a pregnancy led to, to a healthier lifestyle, but I can imagine that, you know, there was a lot of factors involved. Right. Well, that certainly wouldn't have that effect for everybody. Right. Yeah. But there is something about like being pregnant and like watching my body change and feeling very uncomfortable about it but knowing that like that's what's supposed to happen yeah you know and that if i fight against this i'm not gonna have a healthy kid you know exactly so that was like enough kind of motivation for me and i certainly would still and do still have moments where i'm like oh you know like freeze in the face of like food you know or 
stand in front of the mirror and cry or whatever. But those things don't happen nearly as much and they don't like affect me as deeply as they used to. You know? Right. They don't, they're not as traumatic in my life as yeah. they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about your show. Obviously, it was a huge undertaking for you to bring your acts here. I'm amazed the kind of stories that you're telling and everything. So tell us about Brave Speak. Yeah. Okay. Happy to. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, let's talk about the show. Yeah. Uh, the terrible transition. <laughs> So Brave Space is, so I wanted to design a show. I'd been going to like these booking conferences and things for years and years and years and years. I never really had any luck. The show. Everybody wants to book Australian circus. Everybody wants to book Canadian circus. And U.S. circus sort of has this like, like stigma attached to it that like, it's not very good. And a lot of that is a little bit deserved, but it's really changing. Like, the United States is really starting to develop some incredible circus shows. And there have been in the past as well, not to discredit any of those. But I would go to these booking conferences and we'd be, we'd have a booth and everything and be like, oh, are you interested in a circus show? And they would just be like, no. Or we already booked a circus show this year. Or we don't have the, we can't rig a circus show in our space. Or we just don't have the space for it. Or it's too much liability or mm -hmm. whatever. And so I wanted to design a show. My first inspiration was to just make a show that like thwarted all of those excuses. And so I wanted it to be fully self-contained, not tapping, in, tapping into like any of the theater's rigging or anything like that. I wanted to be able to do it anywhere. So I wanted to have all of our own lights and sound and that sort of thing. And I wanted it to be able to set up in 20 minutes so that we could wow. do it in a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You have to be able to do that in a fridge. Right. The people who don't know the get in and get out times are so strict. You yeah. pay like all kinds of money for each minute you go mm -hmm. over. You have another company like... Yeah. We need to get in the space. We need to get in the space. So right. that is yeah. very clear. And we can set a fresh show in six minutes. Woo! I know. We can barely <laughs> do that if we are not the circus. And so I sort of was like, okay, so this is my puzzle that I want to solve. How do I solve it? And uh, so I was like, okay, well, we have to have our own rig. We have to have our own lighting. We have to have our own sound and this sort of thing. And so from that, I, I got the rig out. I was like, we brought the rig into the space. I invited people to come and do a workshop and just play around and sort of kind of visualize the ideas that I was having in my head. So I brought the rig out. I laid it down on the floor and I was like, okay, what can we do with these pieces? Mm -hmm. what, like these individual pieces of rig, how can they be used to create a show? And I also had had this kind of image of... <clears throat> How, well, so many of my shows end up being like about communities and social dynamics. And I was a sociologist in college. And so like, that's where my brain always wants to go. So I wanted to make a sh I'd also, okay. So I'd also grown up in like the punk rock scene and the riot girl scene in the nineties. And there was this kind of DIY ethos, yes. which has always really stuck with me when it comes to touring. We just get in a van and we tour. And, you know, when we want to do a show, we just put on a show ourselves. And there was this other side to it that was very, especially in Riot Girl, that was like very budgeting, beginning of like Me Too and social justice movements. And we were like calling out, you know, guys in bands that were sexual predators and this kind of thing. And um, and so I sort of saw this whole like Me Too slash cancel culture thing happen in the 90s before it happened, like in the larger yeah, you know, society. And I saw the way that it was like affecting people and their lives. And I was always thinking to myself, like, is this the best way for us to do this? Should we be like ostracizing people from our communities or should we be trying to like heal them or whatever? Da, da, da. So this was something that I 
kind of wanted to explore in the context of a show. That's not what Brave Space ended up being about. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't look like that for the people. No, but okay. no, but that's what it was originally when we went into the workshop process. That's what I was thinking the show was going to be about. And but, that's why there's workshops. I know. <laughs> it just turns I know. so upside down. Right. And so through the, through the, just the whole process of working with these people and working with this equipment, working with this imagery that I had in my head, it's like that egg kind of cracked. And inside of the egg was this story about how people in a community, particularly like women and non-binary people, come together to support each other when one of them is wounded. Mm. You know, I feel like misty eyed talking about it. And so that sort of like became what the show is about. It's about how, yeah, how we can form communities of trust and of vulnerability and protect the people in those communities who are the most likely to be marginalized or vulnerable in certain situations and how we can all work together to build up a, a base for them to stand on and elevate voices that aren't heard as often and that kind of thing. So that ended up being what the show is about. And it was really, you know, it, it was also made at the time when, like, we were all watching The Handmaid's Tale. And, yeah. like, <laughs> what the fuck is his name? The Supreme Kavanaugh was being. Kavanaugh got confirmed to the Supreme Court the day our show opened. And we just stood backstage, like, crying. Ah, before the, oof, um, <laughs> before the show started. And it was like, let's go out there and let's give people this show. And try to inspire them to, like, make their community stronger so that this kind of thing doesn't keep happening. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm just watching your eyes fill with tears. But it's, like, it's such a, you know, confluence of, like, what inspired the show, all the crazy shit yeah. that's been going on, the communities that you do yeah. want to support. And, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure so much of that emotion is about the actual show as well. Like, yeah. bringing all of this together. Yeah, the for sure. Want to totally. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, the world is like been so difficult and so and it's so scary that we wanted to like make a make a show that felt like a different world, that felt like your dream, felt like a utopia, you know, for just a little bit. So you could like go in there and feel this thing and then leave be kind of feeling like you took like a emotional bath or something. Oh, that actually sounds really because <laughs> it's like talking about all these things that it's like, oh, it could be so painful. Yeah, but it's not. But then it's to come not, out and feel. Yeah. And there we also designed the show to I mean, the audience helps us like we can't do the show without the audience there because they have to like lift things up and hold acrobats in the air while they do stuff because the people in the show are doing something else right like it's not possible to do the show with the amount of people that we have in the show so we need the audience there to like help us actually pull the whole thing off and so we're trusting the audience strangers complete strangers yeah that we've never met we're trusting them to like not let go of that rope you know and they're trusting us to like not fall on them yeah, <laughs> during well, the show. I've seen pictures where there's just people all yeah. below you. And yeah. It's just above, you know, twirling, swinging, mm -hmm. amazing things. To yeah. Do. I mean, so we have the audience lay on the ground underneath the trapeze act. Yeah. So they're trusting that we're not going to fall. We have the audience sit like dangerously close to this year wheel act. You know, you can feel like the, the wind come by oh, as the wheel goes by your face. So like, because I just watched <laughs> somebody on a stage do it. And I right. was like, not worried about myself, but I was like, he's going to go off the stage. I know. <laughs> but the idea of, you know, you're there and it's like the wind is passing you. It's amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. So show. it's really like sensory. And then also like once you go into the little blanket fort that we're building, it's hot in there. 
You know, the audience actually like gets uncomfortable physically as a part of the show. And then at the end, well, I don't want to spoil the end, but at the end, there's like this sense of like relief and kind of like revitalization that is like built into the show in a physical way that is really and people just leave and they're like, oh, and so actually, like, I'm really glad that the show's at 11 in the morning because it's a really like if I saw the show at 11 in the morning, I'd be ready to like be a great person for the rest of the day. <laughs> I love it. Maybe, the, yeah. maybe, maybe more than the rest of the day. Maybe exactly. the week. Yeah, exactly. Forever. The rest of your life. Exactly. <laughs> I did mention a couple of times your stuff getting lost. Yeah. And you said you brought everything for the show with you. Mm-hmm. I so. mean, the show is like fully self-contained, right? So like we can't use somebody else's lights. The lights are Bluetooth and they run off of one iPad. And if that iPad ever breaks, whoa, I'm like so scared to go home to the tech and like plug everything in and be like, oh my God, please, please work. work like, please. This is my next worry is like that everything got here safely now that everything is here. <laughs> yeah, but you had about 48 hours or so of just sheer. Yeah, like, is everything going to get here? But I mean, the circus community is so amazing. People in the Edinburgh circus community were messaging me and being like, we have a rig. Do you want to use it? Like, is there anything we can do to help you? Do you need any equipment? Whatever. And you were like, no, but well, I was like, yeah, we actually did find the exact same rig that we. Oh, shared. wow. And it was on its way here. And then we we're like, we found our bags. It's OK. Oh, such a just. Like I know we're saying all the money and all the so time I, and all the hopes and the dreams and the uh huh. I just I read that and I was I know I know it's wild. But happy you, ending. You're here. Happy it's ending. Gonna be amazing. So Everything's here. <laughs> happy beginning. Happy beginning. Yeah. Happy beginning. So people should definitely see this that are at the fringe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, brave space. Tell us where you are. We're at the Circus Hub in the Meadows as part of the Underbelly lineup. Very good. 11 a.m. in the morning. 11 a.m. In, in the morning. That's a little redundant. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> just in case you didn't, yeah. you all didn't get it. It's 11 Don't show up at 11 o'clock at night. It would be a very different show happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I always ask people to bring a quote. Do you oh, have a shoot. quote for me today? They asked me that. And I was thinking, I have one, but I feel like there was another one that is like on the tip of my brain and I can't remember it. But don't worry. People always feel the pressure. And I'm like, no, I know. it's just something that's inspired you or no. something you read on the way here that you were like, wow, that's yeah, yeah, how yeah. I live my day today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The one that I can't remember is gone. But the one that I can remember, and I can remember it because it's tattooed on my back, is a quote by Khalil Gibran, who wrote the book, The Prophet. And it is, and let there be no purpose in friendship, save the deepening of spirit. And I got that when I was like 18, tattooed on my back. Because I just don't want to, like, fuck around with fake people. <laughs> don't form a friendship with somebody with, like, an ulterior motive yeah. to get something or to propel yourself somewhere or whatever. Like, I just always want to, like, surround myself with, like, genuine, awesome people. And, I mean, I think that that's, like, what I've done with the show. And I think that's part of the show's success, too, is we all, like, really love each other. You know, we've all been working together on the show since 2018. And, um, yeah, we're, like good friends and we all you know we figured out how to like ignore each other when we are mad and frustrated and then like move past it and go on to the next thing and that kind of thing so i think it would have been really hard to have this show with a different group of people in it it is like a self-fulfilling prophecy too because i feel like the prophet the prophecy but i feel like i have i started a triathlon club in london and my thing from the beginning was we are going to be the f- friendliest triathlon yeah i say nice. like this but like the friendliest triathlon club period and it's really it is amazing when you put that intention out mm-hmm. the people that come yeah 
are the friendliest people. Mm -hmm. And the people that haven't lasted that long, sometimes it's because they've moved away. I don't want to say people have come and not been, you know. But for the most part, the people that stick around are super amazingly friendly. And I think it's because I'm with you. And being in a, in a situation like we are right now with all these different shows, everybody's trying to get ahead. Everybody's firing. Everybody's trying to get mm -hmm. the reviewers in, et cetera. But I think it is really interesting because we will find our, our group of the genuine people that yeah. we want to be with. And I, you know, there's been all of this hashtag Femi fringe mm -hmm. and all these women mm -hmm. and non-binary acts wanting to support each other. And I just think that the community can be amazing. Yeah, totally. So. I've been just astounded. I mean, I didn't really like, I use, I have two Twitter accounts. I have like my mad political Twitter account and then I have like my company account. Um, so I don't use it that much, but since I've been posting stuff for the show and Edinburgh and stuff, it's just like, People are so nice. People want to like come out and support each other and, you know, lift each other up, which is like the whole point of our show, sort of. So it feels like a little macrocosm of our show, just being at the fringe and everyone being like so pumped for each other. And I like it. It's great. Yeah. Cool vibe. It is such a cool vibe. It's really energizing. There's just so many people here and everybody's creative. Uh -huh. it's so cool. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, I know you have tech today, so I won't keep you any longer, but I wish you the very best for your show. Thank you And so I cannot wait to see it. Yeah. Brave Space. Come see it on all month. Yeah. Just Mondays, like the sec 15th and the 22nd are only days off. So Woo. come see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Yeah. Really good chatting with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.